I don't know if you noticed the, the young, handsome guy that started the service today. Uh, that's my brother, Barry. Uh, Barry, Carla, Jay, stand up. He pastors a church in northern Alabama up in, in Decatur. His wife, Carla, his son, Jake. And Jake, that's not an earring hanging off of Jake's ear. Turn around, Jake, so you can see it. That's, that's his mask. Uh, but uh, they're here visiting with us this week, visiting my parents, who, who obviously live here now. And uh, we're glad to have them. We thought we'd just throw a little joke over. Some of you actually said to me, even coming down the aisle for communion, is that your brother? <laughs> All right. We're going to get into the Word this morning. You should have your, your, your journal, that Bible study journal that we've passed out. Uh, also, your Bible, Matthew. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 1 this morning, but... Go ahead, if you will, and turn to chapter 9, and we're going to pick up around verse 13 in just a moment in the intro. I want to take time to go back maybe a little repetitive from two weeks ago when we gave the intro to the book of Matthew and, uh, and, and, and kind of just rehash some of that for some of you who missed it. And then we'll get started in the chapter 1, verse 1. Interestingly enough, what we just heard read from the Word of God was the birth narrative of Christ. And to hear that the angel said he will save his people from their sins, telling Mary that this is someone who is special in her womb. This is Messiah spoken of, prophesied about in the Old Testament. It would have to make some who are skeptics in this world wonder, well, what gives him the right to be Messiah? Just because they say an angel you know, announced that he was the savior of people. Well, what gives him the right? Today, we're going to be looking at the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And we're going to learn a couple things that are very important. Number one, that he is absolutely qualified to be the king of the Jews, the king of Israel, the king of the kingdom of heaven, which includes you and I. Amen? Aren't you glad for that? He's, he, he is qualified on two fronts. He's qualified racially, and he's qualified with royalty. And so we're going to focus on that this morning. I don't know that we'll get to the birth narrative story for sake of time. We might just pick it up next week because it flows right into chapter 2 where we learn more about the wise men. But let's go ahead if we can, and let's pick up where, where it says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, I, I want to lay this out for you as we, as we think about the gospel according to Matthew. Matthew had a great appreciation for Jesus Christ, probably because of his occupation at the time that Jesus approached him. Matthew was what? A tax collector, a publican, okay? Uh, he would have been despised by the people of Israel. He, not only because he worked for the Romans and collected money, taxes, for the Roman government, but he was able to keep everything over the top. Whatever they required of him, whatever came in above that, that was for Matthew to keep. Tax collectors were known for ripping people off, taking more than they should from the people, and padding their own pockets. That's why Zacchaeus said, I'll give back you know, tenfold what I've taken. Uh, I, I think uh, Matthew was probably not popular in his community. He was looked down by some and he was hated by others. And here comes Jesus walking up to him at his tax booth. 
In chapter 9, it actually shares that. He is at his tax booth. Jesus walks up and says to him, follow me. Matthew immediately steps out from behind the tax booth and begins following Jesus. He was probably blown away at the fact that Jesus would even look his way, much less invite him to follow after him. This had to open Matthew's heart to Christ. We find this encounter in the one that follows in Matthew 9, verse 9, uh, or actually a little further down, verse 10, uh, quite interesting. Let's pick it up at verse 10 in Matthew 9. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, I want, I want you to see there's a polysyndeton happening here. First of all, we, we see Jesus come, up, come to Matthew. He calls Matthew to follow, and he immediately gets up and leaves and he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And Jesus reclined at a table. These ands are telling you that this is a continual event. This is not like, okay, follow me. And after he follows, somewhere down the road, they come together at someone's house for some kind of a meal. No, this is Matthew following Jesus and taking him to his own home. This is the home of Matthew, what you see in verse 10. And look what it says. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house in Matthew's home, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. How did the tax collectors and uh, the prostitutes come to Matthew's home to hear from Jesus? It's very, it's very easy to understand how. Matthew himself was a tax collector. The only people who would hang out with tax collectors would be prostitutes. Nobody else wanted to hang out with a tax collector. And so here they are. These are Matthew's friends. These are his associates. And they're all together in his home. Why are they there? Because Matthew invited them to meet Jesus. It's interesting to me that uh, Matthew assembled his friends because Matthew is a bridge builder. Jesus is actually the bridge that Matthew is bringing people over. Jesus is able to reach all kinds of people and connect them together. Look, this body alone is made up of all kinds of people from different backgrounds, different cultures, different places. Some of you are from Georgia. Others of you are from the Northeast. You ain't got nothing in common. The way you talk, the way you think, the way you act, the way you were raised, it's all different. Amen. Some of you are from Pennsylvania. You grew up eating, what is it called, Scrapple? Is that what they call it? Am I right? And people in the South, what? And then others are growing up on grits. See, I hear some amens in that. No self-respecting Southerner would ever make instant grits. Is that right? Okay. So, here we are together. Some of us have history of great sin. We've fallen. We know it. We've even ruined people in our, in our attempt to make it on our own. Others of us here grew up in a self-righteous setting thinking we were so right when really we came to realize in the presence of Christ, I am nothing. Amen. Right. My righteousness is 
filthy, stinking, putrid rags in his sight. And yet we're all here. Jesus is the bridge builder. He put us together. Matthew's pointing them. Get on the bridge. See the bridge. He can bring you into the kingdom of heaven. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. He's telling the Pharisees, Why are you here? Why are you even watching? You don't think you need anything. You think you're too good for everybody. The people that are here, the people that I'm sitting with, the people who are eating are the people who need help. Remember in Luke chapter 18, when Jesus told the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee who entered the temple to pray? And the Pharisee went first and he stood up and out loud publicly began to give thanks to God that he was not a sinner like everybody else in the room. That he was so good, he paid his tithes, blah, 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 kept the law, didn't, wasn't, I'm not like these people that are, you know, extortioners, these people that have committed uh, adultery, I'm not like them, Lord, I'm, and then it says, Jesus in the parable looks to the, the tax collector, the sinner, and the man could not even lift his eyes to heaven when he prayed because of the weight of his sin. And he cries out, beating his chest, Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus finished that parable saying, that's the man who went home fulfilled at peace. Jesus met him at his place of brokenness. That's what he needs from us. When we come to church on Sunday, we're not putting on a front. We're not trying to be religious here. We're We've been saved by grace through faith. Amen? Amen. With the mercy of God has been poured out upon us. And now here we are. And we come with that, that, that spirit of humility to be amongst others just like us. And when somebody walks in with a haughtiness in their spirit, it just stands out. But even then, we don't point the finger and make fun of them. We walk over and we love them with the same love that Jesus gave us. And Jesus said, "Those he said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. It's interesting to me how sinners were extremely comfortable in the presence of Jesus. Interesting. He taught them about the kingdom. He taught them about the love of the Father. He taught them from the Old Testament Scripture who He was, who, who He had come to, what He came to do for them, to save them from their sin. They loved to be around Him. It was a religious crowd that had a tough time with Jesus. They would be the ones who would order up His death by crucifixion at the end of His three-year ministry. And so the concern here is this. Why is it that so many Christians today are so comfortable around the religious? But sinners? 
Think hard about that. Are you comfortable around religious people? People who wear the right clothes, they act the right part, they say the right words, they sing the right songs. They seem to have that, they seem to have that they're in that culture, that Christian culture. And yet with sinners who don't get it, maybe we, we might even think don't belong, we ostracize, we hold them at, at arm's length, the opposite of Jesus. Just be real. When you talk with sinners, just be yourself. Be real. Some of you are like, the reason I don't hang out with sinners is because I don't get them. I don't understand them and I don't know what to say to them. Excuse me. You were one. <laughs> just be real. When you start talking with them, take time to listen. Don't be so quick to speak. So quick to push something down their throats. You know why sinners run from Christians today? Because they've been preached at. They've been told that they're not right. As if we know what right is. What they need to hear is how we were lost in sin. But we were no different than anybody else. And Jesus miraculously saved us by his grace. And this is what's happened in my life since I've come to Christ. This is the cool thing that's happened in my life. They'll hear that. Because you're not preaching at them. You're just sharing out of your own heart, out of your own life. So Matthew's a bridge builder. And in his gospel, he's all about connecting Jesus to the Messiah. So his primary audience, obviously, would be the Jews, right? If he came as Messiah, we know this because he continually quotes the Old Testament. Uh, for example, he actually quotes the Old Testament scripture 129 times in the Gospel of Matthew. The phrase, the kingdom of heaven, is used 32 times, the word fulfillment, and the phrase, what was spoken regarding Christ, regarding Christ by the prophets, that shows up 29 times. So he's continually, Matthew, by the work of the Spirit, is continually drawing upon the Old Testament prophets and relating them to their fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ, who is Messiah. Now, as we begin chapter 1, Matthew is inspired by the Holy Spirit to begin his gospel, not with the ministry of Jesus, like in the Gospel of Mark, nor is he going to begin uh, with the birth of Jesus, like in the Gospel of Luke. He wants to lay the foundation, establish that Jesus Christ is the only rightful heir to the throne of Israel. He's the only rightful Messiah. Messiah of the Jews of Israel. And so you see every, you, you, if, you, if you know anything about the Jews, you know anything about their heritage, their history, uh, no one could be king unless they had the rightful heir to the kingdom. Okay? You, you either God appointed you to be king or you came from that heritage. You came from that lineage. And so right out of the gate, we we see Matthew establishing in verse 1 that we read, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Who was David? Tell me. He was the king, right? He was the king. Uh, he wasn't just a king of Israel. He was the king of Israel. Now, I mean, David was the greatest king. Talk to any Orthodox Jew, and they will tell you David was the pinnacle of, of all the kings that ever ruled uh, Israel. Okay? And so right out of the gate, 
He's, he's known as the son of David. He's known as the son of Abraham. The son of David qualifies him as royalty. The son of Abraham qualifies him as the right, coming from the right race. He had to be Jewish. And he's a son of Abraham. In Genesis, God made a promise to Abraham that through his offspring, the entire world would be blessed. Genesis chapter 12, turn there quickly. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. In Genesis 12, 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you of a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Through you, Abraham, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. Who could possibly come through Abraham's seed or his line, his lineage, that could possibly bless all the earth? He was referring to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was the son of Abraham. In the New Testament, Paul made an important distinction when he said in Galatians 3.16, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, plural, referring to many. But it says right here in the text, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. So Paul is clarifying and making the distinction there was only one that God was speaking of coming through Abraham's seed. Only one, Jesus Christ. So he's racially qualified through Abraham's line. Let's go a little further with this royally or the royalty aspect of Christ's qualification. It says in verse 1 that he's the son of David. One day, David went to the prophet Nathan. And he was all excited, and he said to Nathan, Hey, I want to build a house for God. I live in this palace, this beautiful mansion. God lives in a tent. I want to build a house for God. Nathan said, Man, that's an awesome plan. Go for it. Well, God comes to Nathan at night, and he tells him, uh, I didn't tell you to tell David that. I didn't say David could build a house for me. In fact, he cannot build a house for me because he has blood on his hands. David was a warrior for God. He was not to build the house for God. And so uh, Nathan has to go back to David, and he shares the bad news. You can't build God's house. But God gave Nathan something else to say. He told David, make sure he understands that while he cannot build a house for me, I will build a house through him. Initially, when you hear that, who do you think of? Solomon, the son of David is going to build the first temple. And he did. But it's bigger than that. It's also referring to Jesus Christ who would bring all God's people from every nation, every tongue, every single part of the globe together as his people, his children. In Luke 1.31, it says, And behold, you will, receive, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, the angel speaking, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give, him, uh, give to him, here it is, the throne of his father David. So now you have an angel from heaven who's confirming the qualification that Jesus is royalty. 
and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Forever. And his kingdom there will be no end. So the Jews knew that Messiah must be the offspring of Abraham. They, he, the Messiah must be the son of David. That was prophesied in the Old Testament. And guess what? Let me just share with you. The Old Testament reveals you've got to come through Abraham's seed. You have to come through the lineage of a king to be the Messiah. That's just the way it is. Guess what? There is not a single Jew on the earth today who has right to claim what tribe he came through. To claim being the rightful king of Israel. You know what? Back in 70 AD, the, 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 the temple that Herod built, the Romans came in and destroyed. They leveled Jerusalem. They leveled the temple. They literally wiped out all the records of the Jewish people. All the 12 tribes and all the lineages, they destroyed them. No Jew today can say with absolute certainty which tribe they came through. There is only one Jew who can say I absolutely know who I am and which tribe I came through. I am a son of Abraham and I am the son of David. The only Messiah can be Jesus Christ. It's who he is. Amen? Amen. Now, let me say it again. There's only one Jew who can trace his genealogy back to Abraham. Something else that jumps off the page as we read through the genealogy is that there, and then I want to finish with this. Interestingly, I don't want to cover every name. It would take us weeks to go through and look at the backstory on all the names of the lineages coming down. We're going to focus on what jumps off the page. What jumps off the page next, beyond the first verse, is it mentions four women in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now you do understand that that is so against the culture of the Hebrews. They did not value women that way. They did not mention women in genealogies, only men. Okay? So this is completely unique. In fact, uh, Jewish men would regularly, daily, they would pray this prayer, ladies. Hold your ears. Here it is. God, I thank you that I was not born a Gentile, a dog, or a woman. That was their prayer. And they prayed it often. To show you where they put women in terms of what category. You do know that Jesus Christ absolutely destroys that line of thinking. Praise God. Amen? In fact... In his genealogy, God made sure to have four women mentioned in the genealogy. Can you imagine when a Jew reads the New Testament, being an Orthodox Jew, being so familiar with the Old Testament, and they read the genealogy of Jesus Christ and four women are mentioned? I mean, go ahead and get the oxygen. I mean, this guy's going to go out. There's no way that they would ever think that that's legitimate. He's the only legitimate one. Amen? So let's look at it if we can. In verse 3, he mentions Tamar. In verse 5, he mentions two ladies, Rahab and Ruth. And then in verse 6, he mentions Bathsheba. Now, let's go back to Tamar for a second. It was, uh, it's very interesting here, what we're going to learn. Um, 
What, what you're seeing is Jesus through his genealogy. He's establishing a different kingdom. He's saying, out with the old kingdom of the Jews, the ones that they were familiar with, out with the law, in with freedom, liberty, and grace. My kingdom will not be established on you keeping the law. My kingdom will be established on my righteousness because I kept the law for you. Now you receive grace and mercy, liberty and freedom. And not just the men, all people receive it. Amen? Isn't this good stuff? And so what we see here, uh, Paul even gets in on it. Paul made sure to understand. He said there is neither Jew nor Greek. In Galatians, there's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He's referring to the kingdom of heaven. He's referring to those who are saved, who belong to God. That when you're in the kingdom of God, you don't think of yourself the way men think of you. You don't think of yourself the way cultures in this earth think of you. You think heavenly. You think about things that are above this earth. Because you're a foreigner on this earth. You belong to God. You're part of His kingdom. You are a citizen of heaven on earth. Jesus even went to the point of saying, the kingdom of heaven is in you. John the Baptist said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here now. It's, it's at Bureau Bible Fellowship in this chapeteria right now. Amen. And it's part of you if you're saved. You're in it. You're in it. So this is a gospel that doesn't reject women, doesn't treat certain people poorly. This is a gospel of a kingdom that everybody's equal at the foot of the cross. Why? Because we're all sinners. Every one of us. But I want you to see this. This is just so powerful. It just blesses me just to be able to share it with you this morning. The Jews placed a high priority on family responsibility. They really... They really do, even to this day. But there are also, there's other groups that place high value on family, uh, like the Mormons. Okay? So just because you place value on family doesn't make, make you right. Okay? Uh, Tamar's name, she's mentioned first. Tamar in verse 3. This had to be a real shocker to the Jews reading this passage because... You might remember her from Genesis 38. Let me give you a quick summary of her story. It was Judah, one of the 12 sons of Jacob, that had three sons. The sons' names were Ur, Onan, and Shelah. The oldest son, Ur, married Tamar, a woman that's mentioned in the, in the lineage. And Scripture records that Ur did evil before the Lord, and so the Lord took him out. Killed him. He died. Uh, in the Jewish culture, if a man dies then his wife goes to the next in line of that man's family. So if your wife die, or if you die, your wife goes to the next brother in line. And the reason for that is because he is to have relations with her, she is to bear children, so that those children come up and, and continue the dead father's or the dead man's heritage and inheritance forward. This is what the Jews did. So Ur dies, and so the next guy in line is Onan. Onan uh, marries Tamar, and he says, I'm not giving her kids. I don't want my, those kids to come up with my brother's uh, heritage. I want my own kids. So 
He, he never consummated the marriage. And so what does the Lord do? He takes him out. This gal's hard on men. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> so, so now there's only one brother left, Shelah. And, and Judah looks at Shelah, who's young, a young kid. And he has no desire to give Tamar to this woman who's tough on husbands. This is the only one left. I don't want him to die in two. So he tells her, he, he, he cuts a deal with her. Because Shelah is so young, I, I, I don't want him to marry you right now. Let's wait. Let's let him grow up and then he can marry. Then I'll give him to you in marriage. Well, the boy grows up, becomes a man, and she waits. She's wearing the clothes of a widow all these years waiting. Finally, he comes uh, of age and Judah does not give uh, uh, Shelah up to her. And so... Uh, Tamar takes matters in her own hand. She's barren. She's never, she's never had any children. So what she does, she decides to take off her widow's garment and she puts on a veil and the outfit of a prostitute, a harlot. And she goes along the path that Judah, the father, traveled every day. And she waits. And he comes and he sees her, but he doesn't know who she is. She's veiled. And he is supposed to offer her something and he doesn't have anything to give at that moment except that he has his staff, he has a ring. and So he gives her these, these items instead until he can give her the, the cows that she wants or whatever it is that they worked out. And they, they consummate. And so now, a few months later in the village, word gets out that Tamar, the widow, is pregnant. And when Judah hears it, Judah freaks out. She needs to be burned to death for this. And so Tamar walks up to him, and Tamar says, uh, uh, Do you know whose staff this belongs to? Do you know who, who owns this bracelet? Do you know who owns this ring? And Judah's jaw must have dropped off his face when he realized that he was the man got her pregnant. Okay? This is the woman that God put in the lineage of the Messiah. Why? Why? I'll tell you why. First of all, to shame every man that would read that genealogy who prides himself in family responsibility as I'm sure Judah would have. But when he reads that story, knowing the story, when he sees her name, he realizes uh, when it comes to the kingdom of God, my righteousness is filthy rags. I'm not good enough. But more than that, he also puts it in there so that we would see that God will use anybody he chooses. He can use a harlot. He can use a tax collector. He can use anyone. And those of you here today who have a story of sin, a past that you can't seem to forget, I'm telling you, God's not holding that over you if you are in the kingdom of God. You've been set free. No longer do you have to walk around thinking that there's something else I need to do to make up for it. 
You no longer have to try to prove to yourself or anybody else. Christ did all the proving for you on the cross. Amen? I love that story. I love it. Family responsibility. <laughs> How are you in that area? Are you trying out of your own strength? Are you proud of your family? But do you meet God's requirement? What's God's requirement? That you just live in His mercy and His grace and that your kids see you mess up and you say to them, yeah, I messed up. In fact, I'll be honest with you, son, I mess up every day. <laughs> I need Jesus every day. I'm in a relationship with Him. Then he goes further. In fact, by the way, uh, the next one is Rahab. And she was a prostitute as well. Interesting. In the lineage of Christ, two harlots. Mm. In the days of Joshua, when the spies came to scope out Jericho, it was Rahab who hid them and covered, up, covered them up. She is honored not, not only by appearing in the genealogy of Jesus, Rahab makes her way into the hall of faith. In fact, Hebrews 11.31 says, By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, but because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies, God saw her as faithful. Here's a woman who doesn't know anything about the theology of the Jews, doesn't know anything about their culture, their history, but she comes to realize somehow, some way, the Spirit of God reaches her, and she realizes their God is the one true living God. And she protects the Jewish spies. And because of that, God throws her in the hall of faith with Abraham and all the other great patriarchs of the faith. That's our God. Your God is a forgiving God. Your God is a God who always brings a new restoration into your life. He's not about to leave you where you are. He'll bring you along. He'll bring you into His righteousness through Christ. And then He begins to sanctify you every single day, one day after another. What's that? Conforming you to the image of Jesus continually. Growing you in your faith. Growing you to where people look at you and they're like, you're not the same guy. I know you. Well, something's changed here. When I was in college, I used to run uh, the dances on campus for a few years there. And I, I, I was not walking with the Lord for uh, much of my college uh, days. And then finally I gave my heart to Jesus, got saved, walked down, crawled under that uh, stage, and wept like a little baby next to Denny Hebner, who was a linebacker on the football team. He and I both were weeping like kids, man, overwhelmed by the sin that we had committed and the fact that all of a sudden like this, the sins were lifted by Christ. Amen. And I want to tell you something. I got up and left that place and... And I had friends who were in the seminary there. And here I am getting a business degree. Next thing my friends hear is that Greg's a pastor. And these guys are freaking out. Are you kidding me? Greg? Sip? He's a pastor? Seriously? What's the joke? Come on, there's got to be a joke behind that. But that's what God does. He can take anybody and He can turn their life around. He can give them purpose and meaning. Don't let anybody look down upon you doesn't matter what they think. God makes sure that you understand through the lineage of Christ that anybody can be changed by God. He's a transformer. Amen? And then, so Rahab, she's in. Then there's Bathsheba. 
Look what it says in verse 6. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Who? I mean, God's trying to really stick it to the Jews here, isn't he? Why didn't he just say, and David was the father of Solomon? Why did he put the last part in? I'll tell you why. Because he's telling them again, you're not nearly as good as you think you are. You're sinners. Your self-righteousness makes me want to puke. I told somebody walking in this morning, I saw the bags. I, heard, I wasn't thinking about communion at the moment. I saw the bags on the back of the pew chair. I said, I said are these puke bags? I mean, like, are people expecting me to preach that bad of a sermon? They're going to be puking? What's the deal here? Well, God's telling them, you need a puke bag. Honestly, I need a puke bag when I look at you. And, and he's reminding them, look, these people are just like anybody else. King David, he was a murderer. That's what he said here. He, that's what he's saying. He's the father of by the wife of who? who, who whose name did he mention? Uriah, the guy that David had murdered after he had an affair with Bathsheba. So why would God do that? Why would he mention this? Again, his kingdom isn't shallow. It's not false. It's not religious. It's not all the things that we easily gravitate to in our flesh. He brings him back to Christ and says, you know what? The very people that committed these sins, God changed. God saved them. God changed them change you. In Revelation 21, in verse 1 through 5, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride. You know what that bride was made up of? Filthy, stinking sinners. You and me. That Jesus died for and clothed us in his righteousness, his purity, his beauty. And what God sees in heaven is not a bunch of filthy sinners. He sees righteous saints. That's who you are today in the kingdom. I'm not talking about future tense. Now it'll be manifest. You'll see it in heaven, but it's here now. You're, you're righteous in God's eyes if you're, if you're saved. Not because of your good works, but because of the work of Christ on the cross. Amen? Does that make sense? He says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne. This is coming straight from God. Listen to what God said. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And boy, we've got tears to wipe away, don't we? And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Jesus came to establish that kingdom. Jesus came that you and I would be made new in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a what? New creature. Old things that you used to be part of have passed away. All things, all things, all parts of your being. You are completely, wholly new in the eyes of God. When God, you look at God and say, Father, oh, remember that sin that I, he's like, what are you talking about? You were justified. 
by faith through Jesus Christ. Just as if you never sinned. That's what God sees. Praise God for that. Amen? Amen. Romans 8, 1, 4, 1 through 4. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus for the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by, his, by the flesh could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of all might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You now have been set free. You're not trying to keep a bunch of rules. You don't have to think about the rules. Just think about worshiping and loving Jesus. You'll find you won't even want to commit a bad sin. Amen? Amen. It's just amazing to me how God loves us and what He's done for us. And he, then he's got, he's got Ruth. You look at uh, Naomi, and Naomi sees Ruth, this woman, this example of faith in God. Here's what she says to her. Naomi, you're a child of Israel. I'm sorry, Ruth sees you're a child of Israel. And wherever you go, I'll go. Your God will be my God. Your people shall be my people. Where you die, I'll die with you. I'm never going to leave you. That's what it's like for us in the kingdom. You never have to worry again. Look at verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, is called the Christ. That's who he is. Christos anointed one, Jesus Christ, is familiar with suffering. He's familiar with sinners. He has saved you. He saved me. Amen? Does He not deserve our love? He's loved us with an everlasting love and all He asks of us is to love Him back. It's not something you do. It's just you're a believer now, so I just love Him back. And loving them back means that I don't just hang out with a bunch of Christians, but half of them are too religious and aren't real. It means I'm going to start loving people that are lost the way Jesus loved people. I'm going to connect with them. I want to know them. I want to bring them to the Savior. Amen? Amen. We're going to have a baptism service very soon. We've got one lined up. I'm excited about that. And... Uh, we're going to uh, baptize several folks. Every single one of those baptisms is a story of the gospel of God reaching a heart. And it's coming out of one life and entering a new life. It's a picture of that. It doesn't occur at baptism. It's just a picture. It's a symbol. And we celebrate that. Amen? Wouldn't you want to celebrate your lost friends? Those that you know that don't know Jesus? You want to share the gospel with them. You want to share the gospel. There's a difference, there's a distinction between a witness and somebody who shares their testimony. A witness is who you are. You are a witness. You are a martus, a martyr for Christ. Sharing your testimony is what you do for Christ. Father, this morning we just thank you for your love and we thank you that you have called us you purposed us in a new kingdom for a different life. And today, Lord, we just pray that you would allow us to see the beauty of your righteousness and that we would just uh, 
just worship you because you've given that righteousness to us freely. And you didn't give it to us so we would just sit back in our little room and be prideful and, and haughty with it. You gave it to us that we would go out and have confidence that as we walk among lost people, people who are still lost in their sin, that we come with humility of heart knowing we didn't deserve the righteousness that we possess. And so we don't come to them with arrogance. We come to them with a humble spirit because we desire that they too come into the righteousness of Christ. Make us a church of witnesses that we would do the things that you called us to do. Be to share the good news, to be salt and light in this world. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Just in a moment, just for a moment, just sit. Just have a moment of reflective thought. I don't know about you, but if I can, if I experience something where I read something or hear something that that God is speaking to me about or wanted me to experience, the best thing I can do is get away and reflect on it. Take a moment and reflect on it. Well, we just receive from the Word of God. Reflect on it. How does this impact you when we just read from the Word? Are you saved? Have you received the substitutionary atonement of Christ for your sins? Have you received His work on the cross by grace through faith? Are you saved? Are you in the kingdom of God? If you are in the kingdom of God, are you living like you belong in the kingdom? careful not just to go through the motion of things. We take times for reflection at communion and at the close of a service because we really want to see transformation in people's lives. Man cannot do that. I cannot transform anybody here. But God, by the Holy Spirit, through His Word, can. And that's why we pause. That's why we take a moment. Thank you for letting us uh, have that time with you to do that. Respond to God. If you're new visiting today, you haven't gone to the back, sign up. Let us know who you are. We'd love to connect with you and, and even send you some uh, information about our church so that in the future you know what's happening. And if you are a new believer in Christ and you've never been baptized, you might want to sign up for baptism service. Or maybe you've been with us a few weeks now and you've never gone through the membership class. That's a great class to learn who we are, how God brought us together as a body, and and what we believe scripturally that's, that's of high value and then make a determination whether you want to belong, in, that you want to be in covenant with this body. 
you're not, it's not a covenant you're signing for me. It's a covenant you're signing to the body of Christ that I belong here. This is my church home. And uh, so uh, just I hope God ministers to you as you go and utilize the table of the back for anything, any interaction you need to have. I want to thank you for being here today. If you're if you're hurting, uh, we have Pat, we have elders, we've got pastors, we've got prayer partners who will come forward and just walk up towards the front. They'll be glad to minister to you. We are always thinking about those who are hurting and wounded. We've got a good part of our church body that still has not come back into the service because of hurts, wounds, and things that are happening in their lives. And so let's always be mindful of them. Amen? And come and receive if you need, to be, need, need prayer today, okay? God bless each of you. Thank you for being here. And uh, we'll see you next uh, next Sunday morning right here at 10 o'clock in this, in this chapel tour again. Amen. <laughs>